bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, September 20th, 2016. This week marks 22 years since the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund, or CDFI Fund for short, was created. The CDFI Fund was established through the Regal Community Development and Regulatory Improvement Act of 1994. The bill was signed into law by President Bill Clinton on September 23, 1994. The first award programs authorized under the CDFI Fund were the CDFI Program and the Bank Enterprise Award Program. Today, the CDFI Fund administers a variety of programs that bring financial resources to underserved communities. One of the most popular is, of course, the New Markets Tax Credit. Now, in our general news section today, I'll outline Donald Trump's recently released tax reform plan and what certain provisions in the plan could mean for the tax credit community. In our low-income housing tax credit section, I'll touch briefly on a Massachusetts Superior Court ruling last week that affirmed a low-income housing tax credit sponsor's right to execute on a right of first refusal. Then, I'll discuss HUD's final rule on evaluating Fair Housing Act harassment complaints. I'll round off the housing section with two state updates. The first is a Georgia court ruling on how low-income housing tax credits are assessed in property valuations. The second state update is from California, where the state allocation agency has proposed more than 100 changes to its state low-income housing tax credit regulations. In New Markets Tax Credit news, I'll discuss Bill Clinton's continued support of the New Markets Tax Credit, a program that he signed into law when he was president. In our historic tax credit section, I'll talk about an upcoming report that may give good reason why the now-expired Alabama State Historic Tax Credit should be extended. And I'll close out with Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, where I'll share a report on offshore wind projects and how tax credits can play a role in their future. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump last week released details of his tax reform plan. If Trump were elected and his plan were passed as is, the tax credit community would take a major hit. That's because the plan would eliminate most corporate tax expenditures, except for the research and development credit. In this respect, Trump's plan is largely similar to the House Republican Tax Reform Task Force Blueprint. That puts the low-income housing tax credit, new markets tax credit, historic tax credit, renewable energy tax credits, and all others at risk under the Trump plan. And even if Trump did not propose eliminating tax credit programs, his plan includes other proposals that would seriously hinder tax credit investments. One of the major proposals would cut the corporate income tax from 35% to a 15% rate, except for pass-through businesses. As Novogratz studies have shown, a lower top corporate tax rate leads to lower tax credit yields. This would create a downward pressure on tax credit investor equity pricing. Essentially, this means reduced equity raised for investments in affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy. 
Stating the obvious, at this point, Trump's tax reform plan is just an outline of priorities. And many other steps would need to take place before this tax reform plan, or indeed any other, could be enacted. However, that does not mean the plan should be ignored. If Trump were elected to the White House, his outline positions on tax reform would likely shape negotiations with Congress. Now, I'll discuss in more detail how the presidential election could affect tax reform during my Washington Wire discussion tomorrow at our Novogratic 2016 Historic Tax Credit Conference in Cleveland. Patrick Robertson from FTI Consulting will join me in the discussion. I do hope to see you there. In low-income housing tax credit news, I want to start off by briefly talking about a Massachusetts Superior Court ruling that was issued last week. The decision affirmed the right of a nonprofit low-income housing tax credit developer to exercise its Section 42 right of first refusal, despite efforts of the limited partner to block the sale. Now, the judge's order states that the parties are to confer on a proposed form of judgment, and if there is disagreement, then disputes will be resolved at a hearing on October 15th. In the meantime, look out for our upcoming issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits for an analysis of the issue and to learn what this could mean for low-income housing tax credit partnerships. In other housing news, HUD last week posted a final rule on how it will evaluate complaints of quid pro quo harassment and hostile environment harassment under the Fair Housing Act. The final rule defines quid pro quo and hostile environment harassment as violations of the Fair Housing Act. Included in the final rule are standards to evaluate whether certain conduct creates a violation. The rule also clarifies when housing providers, entities, and individuals may be held liable for illegal harassment or discriminatory housing practices. Quid pro quo is Latin for this for that. In affordable housing, quid pro quo can mean making an unwelcome request or demand of someone and making submission to that demand a condition for their housing. Hostile environment harassment is unwelcome conduct severe or pervasive enough to interfere with or deprive residents of their right to use and enjoy the housing. Now, the final rule is effective October 14th. HUD said it is aggressively pursuing violations involving harassment in housing. If you have questions on this rule and guidance on other HUD issues, please call my partner, Susan Wilson, in our Austin, Texas office. In other news, the Georgia Supreme Court ruled last week that low-income housing tax credits should be included when tax assessors determine a property's taxable value. That decision upheld a lower court's decision that ruled unconstitutional a 13-year-old Georgia law that forbade tax assessors from considering tax credits as real property for tax purposes. So what's the result? Well, until further notice, the value of low-income tax credits will be included when tax assessors determine the value of the property. Now, there's a little background to this story. In 2002, a Georgia judge ruled that tax credits could be considered by tax assessors when they assess the property. The Georgia General Assembly reacted by passing a law that required assessors to exclude the tax credits from the assessment, which was added to the Georgia Tax Code. Last year, the Board of Tax Assessors in Lotus County in Georgia asked that the county's Superior Court declare the state law unconstitutional, and the court did that. The ruling was based on a provision of the Georgia Constitution that mandates that property of the same class be assessed and taxed uniformly. 
In fact, the ruling was issued by the same judge who 13 years earlier issued the original ruling for the tax credits to be included in the tax assessment. So the owners of some low-income tax credit properties filed an appeal to the state Supreme Court, which finally issued its ruling last week. The court ruled that, that the tax credits are tied to the property. So the court said that the tax credits should be included in an assessment of its fair market value, which is how its tax assessment is determined. As most listeners know, tax credits are generally excluded from the tax assessment in most states. My partner Brad Elphick in our Atlanta office says that ultimately, this will increase the property tax burden for long-term tax credit properties in Georgia. And it will make much more difficult, if not impossible, to pencil out transactions when rents, not expenses, are restricted by the rules of the program. If you have questions about a long-term tax credit property in Georgia, I'd encourage you to contact my partner, Brad Elphick, in our Atlanta office. I also have a brief update from California State Tax Credit Allocating Agency. The California Tax Credit Allocation Committee, or TCAC, last week proposed 109 regulation changes to how it will administer its federal and state long-term tax credit programs. That's right, 109 changes. And one of the key areas where they're proposing changes has to do with how the state will deal with its history of having an overallocation of its state long-term tax credit. Now, for those of you who develop affordable housing in California, I encourage you to check out the complete list of the proposed rules on the TCAC website. Now, the target date for adopting the changes is December 14th. However, you can submit comments for, to TCAC about the regulation changes. However, the deadline for that is Monday, October 31st at 5 p.m. If you have particular questions or comments about the proposed changes, I encourage you to contact my partner, Jim Kroger, in our Walnut Creek, California office. In community development news, last week during an interview with Charlie Rose, President Bill Clinton mentioned the new Marcus tax credit's role in reviving economies. Now, Clinton, whose wife Hillary is, of course, the Democratic nominee for president, was asked about his potential role as what CBS called the first gentleman. The interview aired during the program CBS This Morning, and it was before the final Clinton Global Initiative Conference in New York. Former President Clinton talked about doing whatever he was asked to do as first gentleman, but he specifically talked about his ability to help in troubled regions. He mentioned the Puerto Rican debt crisis and the economic struggles in Indian country. Then he said, and I quote, if you sent me to coal country to figure out how to use the new markets tax credit to give them a whole different economy, I could do that, end quote. Now, Clinton signed the original new markets tax credit legislation into law in late 2000, just before the end of his term. And while running for president, Hillary Clinton has called for making the new market tax credit permanent. Her website says she would propose doubling the amount of credits available to low-income communities and would add new credits for communities hardest hit by decline. Republican candidate Donald Trump, incidentally, has been silent on the new markets tax credit. Although, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Trump's tax reform plan would eliminate corporate tax credits. I wrote about their stances on several tax credit issues, including the new markets tax credit in the August issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. You can find that on our website at www.novoco.com. In historic tax credit news, I'd like to provide an update on Alabama's state historic tax credit. As regular listeners will recall, the state credit expired in May, 
and a bill to extend the credit for seven years died in the state's Senate after Senate President Pro Tem, Del Marsh, would not allow the extension bill to come up for a vote in the Senate during the regular session. Marsh said he was concerned about how the bill would affect the state's budget. Now, this was despite tremendous support for the bill in the House, which passed it in a 91-4 vote. As a result, the Alabama chapter of the Associated Builders and Contractors, Inc., ABC, was asked to provide data to the State House and Senate to show that the program is a net gain. The group is working on a survey that proves just that. ABC of Alabama is currently circulating the survey internally among the Board of Directors and the Advisory Board. ABC expects that the state-ordered study will be returned to Senator Marsh within the next couple of weeks. Even though the results aren't out yet, ABC of Alabama President Jay Reed suggests that the survey will back the economic benefits of extending the state historic tax credit. Reed said, and I quote, if the elected officials are looking for facts, those will certainly be indisputable, end quote. ABC of Alabama is also looking for people to join a statewide coalition for advancement of historic tax credits for 2017. We will discuss the state of state tax credits at our Novogratic 2016 Historic Tax Credit Conference tomorrow in Cleveland. And if you're in town and haven't had a chance to register yet, you can still do so at www.novaco.com. In renewable energy tax credit news, the U.S. Department of Energy and U.S. Department of Interior have jointly produced an updated national strategy for developing offshore wind energy in the United States. The report came out just as the first commercial offshore wind energy facility in the United States will begin operation in Rhode Island. That is expected to happen before the end of 2016. Now, by the end of 2015, the U.S. Department of the Interior had awarded 11 commercial leases for offshore wind development that could support 14.6 gigawatts of capacity. Among other things, this joint report outlines how tax credits help in renewable energy growth. Federal incentives, such as the production tax credit and the investment tax credit, have helped drive significant growth in renewables. The report said that this is particularly true in land-based wind and solar energy. Because of the capital-intensive nature of offshore wind development, the ITC is even more critical. Continuation of the ITC may be a significant driver for offshore wind development in the near future. To learn more about the report, go to the Department of Energy's website at www.energy.gov. Well, that brings you to the end of this week's report. Just a reminder, though, the deadline to submit nominations for the Novograd Journal of Tax Credits Developments of Distinction Awards has been extended to this Friday, September 23rd. These awards recognize excellence in developing properties using low compensating tax credits and or HUD financing within the past year. Please consider submitting a nomination for your own development or someone else's. You can find nomination materials at www.novaco.com. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.